Yeah, I was just going to stand here awkwardly until I had a response. It, was, it worried me for, for a split second. Um, it's been about seven years since I moved here. That's kind of crazy to me. Uh, I've, I wonder if it doesn't feel quite as long because there were those like years we don't speak of in which we were in and out of our homes for long periods of time, um, very disrupted. Um, but I came here in September 2016, planning to be here for one year, and I have not left. I apologize. I'm here legally for the record. It had been nearly six years upon coming here in which uh, I had last been an academic. I came here to study uh, at the University of Edinburgh, do a master's in science and religion. I was really excited. Um, and uh, the first week, I volunteered to do the first presentation, which was the following week. So one week into a master's student, I said, I'll do it. Really excited, perhaps a bit overzealous. And... Uh, I did the presentation, and at least I felt it was an utter flop. It just, it was just a, it was meant to be like a 10 minute presentation, and it might have went 15, 16, 17, surprise. <laughs> and I just like, my stomach just dropped. So what did I do? I, I left the classroom, I went and bought a big cheeseburger, I ate it, then I went to sleep. Can anybody relate to those kinds of coping mechanisms? Uh, we've been uh, chatting recently about dependency. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having comfort food from time to time, uh, having sort of coping mechanisms, but I think coping mechanisms can point to where we have a tendency to place our dependency, and it can very quickly become unhealthy if we don't keep it checked. And I'm not just talking about physical health here, though if, you just, if, you're, if you're like me and you like comfort food, you do have to be careful with that. But I'm talking about heart health. What do I long for? Where do I go when things are difficult? What do, what do I lean on? I want you to think about that for a second. What do you lean on during those times? Today we're going to talk about a topic that might make some food lovers in the room a bit uneasy. We're going to talk about fasting. Typically, the practice of giving up food or drink for a set period of time for particular reasons. And if your church upbringing was anything like mine, we are really good at feasting and perhaps not so good at fasting. So I want you to think about that question what do you lean on? Where is your dependency as we read from the Bible today? I actually failed to look at who is my Bible reader. Ah, Ruth, thank you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
Thank you, Ruth. We've been uh, walking through a talk that Jesus gave, one of his longest talks. Uh, we often refer to it in church as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon, just a, another word for a talk, um, particularly drawing from uh, the Bible. Um, the text, we believe, is a, a message to us from God that's very relevant to our lives. So in this Sermon on the Mount, we've been describing it as a blueprint for God's kingdom of transformed hearts. So it's Jesus' blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. So we come to the question of fasting. In this chapter of Matthew, it's the third in a series of warnings Jesus gives against hypocrisy, teaching us not to flaunt our quote-unquote righteous acts for the sake of being seen and getting praise from others. Jesus first teaches on giving to the needy, in secret, we see that in Matthew 6, 3 to 4, and then on praying in secret in chapter 6. And now we come to the idea of fasting in secret, or at least fasting in a way in which you are not looking to be seen, not putting on a show. This is a topic that Ed touched on uh, quite thoroughly um, some weeks back. He did a great job, so I don't want to rehash his whole talk. You can find it on the app if you want to listen to it. I could spend the next 20, 25 minutes simply rehashing what Ed did. I won't. Ed had said that hypocrisy was, quote-unquote, doing good for the sake of being praised by others. This continues to be at the core of what Jesus is trying to drive home. Now, for the sake of exploring other aspects of the text today, I'll simply start by noting a few things before turning our focus to the what, the why, and the how of fasting. First, it is not absolute secrecy that Jesus is concerned about here, as though others happening to find out ruins everything. Can you imagine living like that? It would be such a burden to live in fear. Fear of people finding out that you did something good. It'd be downright exhausting. And it would completely miss Jesus' point. His point, quite simply, stop being a hypocrite. Do good with the right motive. Rather than focusing on the quote-unquote doing or the performing uh, what looks good and loving, focus on being a good and loving person. Let me repeat that. Rather than focus on performing or doing what looks good and what looks loving, we need to focus on being good and being a loving person. And the wonderful thing is that when we do this, we can rest assured that it's not a pointless activity, nor is it unseen. God who sees all will see it and he will be pleased. A few weeks back, Ed spoke about three audiences. He spoke of other people, he spoke of ourselves, and he spoke of God. Any actions we do, we could be doing for any of these three audiences. Whether it's giving to the poor, whether it's prayer, or as we see this week, whether it's fasting. These are good acts which are meant to be done for God's eyes alone. 
when we do good for the honor or the praise of others, and yes, even ourselves, so we can pat ourselves on the back. No pun intended. My name's Pat. Thank you for laughing. When we do it for the sake of the praise of others or ourselves, we undermine our own goodness in love. We sabotage ourselves. That's what makes it hypocrisy. We cannot separate the stuff we do from the reasons we do it. God is concerned about both. And when we pretend to be good, while doing it to be seen by others, our motive is selfish and wrong. This is Jesus' point. One commentator on this text points out that when Matthew, the author of this, says the hypocrites, quote-unquote, disfigure their faces, he may be actually using a play on words. The word translated disfigure here can also mean to disappear or to vanish. And so when the hypocrites disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting, they are in a way vanishing, no longer being seen. Now, I don't know if Matthew purposely used this wordplay or not, but the point is true and taught here either way. The hypocrites weren't merely disfiguring their own faces by doing so for the sake of being seen. They were disfiguring the act of fasting itself, undermining its value, making themselves disappear in front of the only eyes that mattered, God. They were, if you will, chopping off the branch they were sitting on. They were strutting their way to self-sabotage with their peacock feathers flared. All the while, they were desiring to be seen, and yet they made themselves disappear in the eyes of God. They had a dependency issue, and they were dependent on other people, their praise, their recognition, perhaps even their love, rather than ultimately being dependent upon God. Other people don't make good God replacements. It's a losing game. But why an audience of God? Why not, as an old atheist campaign put it, just be good for goodness' sake? Now, this is a topic I could spend a whole lot of time on, but I'll keep it brief here. Why not just be good for goodness' sake? Well, we should. But God is the good for goodness' sake. And I don't mean that merely in some abstract way. God is not only the source of all that is good, God's nature is the good. And it is only in and through God that all things can flourish. My good, your good, our good, the world's good is bound up in God so that it is impossible to be good in the fullest sense of the term without directing our being and our doing to that good, to that source of good, to the sustainer of the good, God. Perhaps this is something we should think about the next time we sing, God is good. Hold on, all the time. So point one is don't be a hypocrite. 
Um, oh, sorry. I don't know how that got in there. I took up a new hobby this past week. Uh, yeah, no. Don't be a hypocrite. For the record, I was not fasting at that time. Or was I? Keep you guessing. So point one, don't be a hypocrite. Don't put on a show. Point two, fast. As we look at this text about don't be a hypocrite, we shouldn't miss the point that we probably should consider fasting. Now, this was a practice that would have been the norm in Jesus' day. It's perhaps a practice many of us have lost. Look at verse 16. It says, when you fast. When you fast. I want to be careful here not to make too much of the word when by itself. As I could stand here today and say, when you go to a shop, treat the workers kindly. But that wouldn't be a command to go shopping. Fasting, as I said, was a common practice in Jesus' day. The question was less of if you fast, but when you do to the Jewish people of his day. However, when you combine Jesus when you fast with its grouping with other righteous acts, and the other two given earlier in the passage are to give to the poor and to pray, it does begin to sound more like an expectation that we should fast. Add to this the rich history of fasting in the Old Testament and continued practice of fasting among the apostles, that is, the early followers of Jesus, and maybe, just maybe, we should take the idea of making fasting a part of our lives. Maybe we should consider it seriously. So don't fast like the hypocrites do, but what is fasting exactly? Why should we do it, and how can we go about it? What is fasting? Like any good undergraduate academic, you just kind of quote the dictionary at this point. The Oxford Dictionary says, fasting to, uh, is to abstain from all or some kinds of food or drink, especially as a religious observance. Uh, one of the interesting things I read this past week was to the Jewish people of his day, if just giving up food and drink would have considered, been considered a pretty mediocre fast. And I feel like there's a pretty tall order for us today. It's like, you want me to give up what? I think sometimes even when we give up portions of food, we, we're, we're a bit hesitant. We love our food. But I want to go a little bit different with the definition. If I could suggest another definition to make it more broad. A time of denying yourself something good for the sake of God who is better. Again, a time of denying yourself something good for the sake of God who is better. I was inspired uh, to... Uh, to write this definition um, after listening to a, a preacher, uh, Wes McAdams, uh, and he said, fasting is a confession that food is good, but God is better. I think we need to realize that fasting isn't giving up things we, we dislike. Fasting isn't giving up things that are, are sinful, though you should give up wrong things, whether you're fasting or not. And perhaps you can use a fasting to help move you in that direction to give up wrongful things. But ultimately, the power of a fast is that you are giving up something good while saying that God 
is better. So I'd like to walk through a few steps of fasting as we can find them in Scripture. I think it begins with to deny oneself. You might recall the words of Christ when He says, take up your cross and follow me. That's to deny yourself. So in a sense, we are all called to have a life of fasting, a life of denying oneself to follow Christ. But that's not the kind of fasting I'm I'm referring to here. I'm talking about giving up very particular things. We see in Leviticus 23, 26 to 27, the only fast commanded to the people of Israel. It was on the Day of Atonement. It says, The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. What's commanded? Deny yourselves. Give up something you enjoy. Give up something you love. for a particular purpose. The next step is to humble oneself. We see in Psalm 35, 13, yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. This is the opposite of what the hypocrites did. They were proud in the streets proclaiming, I am righteous because I am fasting. That's not a fast. Fasting is to deny that, to not deny that which is good for a time because God is better, but to humble oneself, to begin that journey of self-reflection, which brings us to seek. So I've denied something. It might be food, it might be drink. It might be something else. I've humbled myself. I've changed my posture of my heart to begin a journey of being as a true seeker. And then I begin the journey of seeking. Ezra 8.23, so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. What do you seek? You seek God. You seek God when you fast. We have the wonderful promise that when we truly humble ourselves, God draws near to us. So we deny something we love for a time because God is better. We humble ourselves to change our heart posture, to begin that journey, to become a true seeker. We turn our eyes to God to seek Him, to depend on Him, to lean on Him through a fast. And then we listen. We see in Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 2, it says, For day after day they seek me out. He got to the seeking bit. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They seem like they're listening, right? Let's read a bit more. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Speaking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of our fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel. They fast and yet they exploit their workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today 
and expect your voice to be heard. Perhaps they're fasting without truly listening, learning. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, to clothe them, and not to turn away your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will qu- quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here, I am. Here am I, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger of malicious talk. And if, you spend your, if, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Bit of a longer passage, but I felt it was worth reading. Here the prophet is getting at the core of the purpose of a fast. It's dependency upon God and it's to change. We need to live lives that reflect that we're truly depending upon God for our very essence, for our very sustenance. And out of that overflow of the love we recognize and feel from God, we love others and care for them well. You could put these last two together to listen and to change because you're not truly listening if you don't change, right? So we need to deny something good, something we love, to proclaim that God is better. We need to humble our hearts to change our posture, to become true seekers. We need to turn our eyes to God to seek Him. We need to listen, and then we need to change. So we've talked a bit about what is fasting. I've walked through these steps, but why do we fast? I've already mentioned its precedent throughout the Bible in Jesus placing it as a righteous act alongside giving to the poor in prayer, both of which should be enough for us to take it seriously. But let me give you a more practical reason. Bear with me. You are not a bobblehead. What do I mean by that? We are not merely big heads with little insignificant bodies. How many actually knew what a bobblehead was before I, I put it up there? I think it's, it's, it's probably slightly more of an American thing. I became very popular with American baseball. I don't know why I said American baseball. Is there a different kind of baseball? Maybe. I don't know. I became popular with baseball. But it slowly has made its way over. You can find cool ones like Baby Yoda as well. Um, but they got these big heads, these small bodies typically. 
We're not merely big heads with little insignificant bodies. That is, we're not purely thinking beings who simply need to fix our thinking and change ourselves by sheer willpower alone. What we love and how much we love it is continuously being shaped by the way we live, including those little habits we form, good and bad. Pulling out the phone first thing in the morning, often without even thinking about it, it does something to us. Scrolling social media, comparing our lives to others, it changes us. Praying before meals changes us. Saying good morning to someone when you walk past. I don't know if that's a very British thing to do, but it can change you. How long we spend aimlessly window shopping online to kill time. It changes us. It changes what we love. How satisfied we are, what we depend on. How we live pulls and tugs and reshapes what we love little by little. And when we find out that we've drifted away from where we should be, when we realize that our love for God, love for people, love for the mission of God and what he wants us to do in the world, when we realize it's faded, we often go to the head. We read more. We listen to more talks like this. We pray more. And these are all important things, I hope, because I'm up here doing one of them. They're incredibly important. And they can be done in ways that engage more than just the mind. But fasting? Fasting says this body is a significant part of who I am and how I relate to God. Fasting invites the whole self. I think I have this up here. Fasting invites the whole self, body and mind, to actively pursue greater dependency on God in love for Him. Let me read that again. Fasting invites the whole self, body and mind, to actively pursue greater dependency on God in love for Him. When we make it a habit, it changes us. Through denial, we practice giving up a bit of control and comfort, a practice in this life, what one theologian describes uh, as similar to our inevitable end, that is, giving up complete control, a time in which we'd have no choice in the matter. So in a way, fasting can actually be a way to learn, to, to live, both live well and to die well. Because both are about depending upon God. So quickly, we've talked about what is fasting, we've talked about why fasting. How? Well, we've uh, already mentioned that we shouldn't be seeking to be seen by others, but fasting is for God's eyes alone. As I alluded to earlier, this doesn't mean that your fast is ruined if someone finds out, nor does it mean that you can never talk about it with someone or choose to fast together. Even Jesus, after encouraging those listening to him to pray in secret, to go to their closet to pray, he goes on to publicly pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' point is less about the act needing to be done in secret, but rather that the act should not be done for the sake of being seen. So fasting can be done individually and private, and I'd suggest that this is the primary way that we should practice fasting. But it can also be done together with others. In the book of Acts, we see the apostles, these are the early followers of Jesus, it's apostles, plural, fasting and praying together before sending out Barnabas and Paul into ministry. So when we're thinking about how do we fast, what does it have in common? Let's go back to our steps. 
deny something good. I'm skeptical of, a heavy, of heavy-handed mandates coming top-down from the church, so I'm not going to stand up here and tell you exactly what you need to do. I don't have that power. I don't have the authority, and I think it's safe to say the elders don't either. We might recommend something. We might encourage something, and I will encourage something later, but I don't have the authority to tell you how to fast. That's between you and God. But sometimes we can come together to fast together as a community to pray together as a community. So what can you deny? Food is the norm. It's worth doing. Um, Though you can fast from other things, I do think it's worth considering food, um, particularly because this ties to the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So that's really pushing on, am I trusting God? Am I being dependent upon God even when it comes to the most basic of needs, the most basic of sustenance? We see Paul reference other things. For example, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, he talks about couples abstaining from having sex for a time for the sake of seeking God. And there's many other things we can talk about. What is it not? It's not a diet plan. It's not a way to test your willpower. Uh, It's not a way to twist God's arm. One of the helpful questions I like to ask myself when I consider fasting is, what do I feel, not just what do I think, but what do I feel like I couldn't live without? And then I consider fasting from that. Again, we humble both inside and outside. Now, I think in our society, we have a tendency to hide our faith practices more than put them on display. So maybe an act of humbling is actually having a conversation or letting other people outside the church know that you are fasting. That might seem counterintuitive, but I think that's important to the humbling process because sometimes it just feels shameful. Sometimes we like to hide that bit. So perhaps a humbling bit is actually letting someone know in a conversation, not to seek to be seen, but to have that conversation about its importance in your life. Seek God. Fasting is almost always tied to prayer throughout the Bible. It's not some kind of sadistic suffering to earn God's favor or to grab his attention, but in the posture of fasting, it's like a kind of an amplification It's like a Wi-Fi router for your prayer. Largely because it's through fasting that radical change can happen in our own lives as we pray. Seek, listen. Perhaps create a, a fasting journal in which you write. Listen to your body. Reflect on how the feeling of longing and depending, um, dependency, uh, and allow it to uh, allow, allow it to model for you a visceral craving for God. Listen to your body. And then ultimately, change. Maybe that'll require a conversation with someone. Talk with someone about what is God teaching you through fasting. But don't be like the people who, who say, God, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you giving me these things? But then you're just treating people poorly. You're just letting injustice reign. I think we should fast. I really do. I think it's incredibly important. Um, as I said before, I'm not going to stand up here and say you must fast. Um, But as an invitation, um, if anybody would like to fast, um, you may have heard that we're considering uh, in moving towards planting a church. And I think that's a huge decision, uh, a decision that I don't want all the responsibility to be on me. Um, And so uh, for the next next month, if you would like um, to fast, pick any day during the week, just fast from lunch as a start. Fast from lunch and pray for what God would have us do as a church to plant another church, to continue the work of God here 
in Edinburgh. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've given us so many good gifts, Lord, but you are still better. Help us to not fast like the hypocrites do, Lord, but fast as you would have us to fast. May we learn, may we change as you work in our lives, Lord. I praise your name. Amen.